The following is a podcast from St. George's Episcopal Church in Arlington, Virginia. We invite you to support the ministries of St. George's Church through a one-time or reoccurring donation. To give, visit our webpage, www.stgeorgeschurch.org. The word saint is spelled in full. St. George's is a vibrant and inclusive community that is committed to loving God, serving others, and changing the world. Gracious God, our strength and our Redeemer, you know our hearts and our uncertainties. Accept the words of our lips and the longings of our hearts for ourselves and for those close to us. We ask this for the sake of your great name, our Creator, our Redeemer, and our Inspirer. Amen. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. If you're anything like me, you may be noticing a larger-than-usual need for this bread of life recently. It feels like our whole world is on edge, with everyone doing all they can to adjust to this new reality of temporary social distancing, measuring out six feet in their minds, following with gratitude the guidance of our medical professionals and civic officials, Thankful for the leadership of nurses and doctors, researchers and police officers, whose essential work has taken, taken on a heightened urgency in this particular moment. And I wonder if our realization of our need for spiritual nourishment day by day and hour by hour can be an invitation to remember God's presence with us each day and each hour. The Bishop of Washington described how our whole world has suddenly found itself in a wilderness time, all in the midst of Lent. My son asks every morning if he's going to school today, if he's going to the playgrounds he enjoys. And every morning I try to be enthusiastic when I say, no, we're having family time. He asks what day it is because we aren't going to church on Sundays or school on weekdays. He misses his classmates. He misses his church family. He misses his friends and extended family. And I'm right there with him. The first wilderness time could have been when Sarai and Abram left their ancestral home and were given new names and in a new land were promised a son when they provided food for strangers who showed up at this new home that they had made for themselves. But even though there's that first wilderness time, I think the most iconic wilderness time happened in the space between Egypt and the Holy Land. It was where God provided the manna, the bread of life, to sustain, sustain the people in the desert wilderness. It wasn't the most exotic meal they'd ever had. In fact, it was quite bland. People were longing for the diverse diet that they had enjoyed previously. But the bread of life kept them going, and like the elven cakes that Frodo and Samwise were able to survive on when they made their journey in Tolkien's trilogy, 
the manna sustained the people. And most significantly, this biblical bread of life arrived one day at a time. Couldn't be stockpiled or hoarded or resold for a profit. It couldn't be saved up for a future rainy day. Perhaps ironically, they were in the midst of their rainy day as they made their way through that desert wilderness, oasis to oasis. The manna had to be collected and shared one day at a time. In my role as a minister, I'm used to reminding people who are facing health challenges or job transitions that the wilderness is the place where the people were given this bread of life, this bread of heaven. The people in the desert didn't know how long they would be there. They probably didn't know where they were going all the time, or even if they were headed in the right direction. They did not know how long it would take them to get there. But in our Gospel reading, Jesus had the rhetorical and exegetical good sense to remind the people that even though Moses, that beloved leader, was with them in their journey through the desert, Moses wasn't the one providing the nourishment along the way. The nourishment came from Abba, the one we address in our prayers as our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus also reminded his hearers that his presence with them was a gift from that same source of life. Our presence with one another, whether virtually, over the phone, through letters, video conferencing, or emails, our presence with one another in spirit is a gift, a grace-filled opportunity for the living Christ to be among us, to be present, for us to recognize Him. Christ has promised to show up wherever two or three are gathered, and we get a foretaste of that heavenly banquet when we live into the already and not yet of our faith. I had a conversation with Anne Gray recently over the phone, and she suggested that we could consider exchanging the peace over the phone on Sunday just by calling the people who might be sitting near us in church. We may not all know each other's last names. Our phone numbers may not always be readily available in realm. We may not be able to reach out personally in this chaotic time, but I'm grateful that Sharon's vision for our virtual house churches is another way that we can be present with one another in spirit, if not in physical proximity. And however difficult this time of displacement may be, I think we can take some encouragement from the fact that the wilderness is also the place where the people real receive the revelation of the Decalogue from Mount Sinai. Those ten, ten good guidelines for abundant life. The wilderness, as unpleasant as it was to be in that in-between place, in between the promised already of new life and the not yet of the arduous journey through the desert, as difficult as it is to make our way through uncharted territory, being on the way is actually the place where God's provision and revelation and Torah came to Moses and the people, and it's the place where God's revelation and provision and Torah can come to us 
now. In our reading from Romans, I think we are also being reminded that our faith is in the already and not yet. Chapter 8 has been described as the very heart of the letter to the Romans. And though we might get caught up in the logic puzzle of the various if-then statements, I think ultimately we can be encouraged, we can take heart from the fact that we aren't alone in our longing to see God's dream fulfilled in our earth. We have been given the first fruits of the Spirit, are waiting in hope with the whole creation. The whole creation that is waiting with eager longing for the restoration, the wholeness, the peace of God. Groaning with sighs too deep for words, waiting for freedom, adoption, redemption. Paul wrote, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory about to be revealed to us. Our faith is a duality of already and not yet. When Jesus used that iconic phrase, I am, he was referring to a Hebrew understanding of God's own name that first showed up in the third chapter of Exodus. It was a time when Moses was on the land. He was exiled from Egypt, having killed a man, and he was hiding out in the desert wilderness, keeping sheep for his father-in-law, who was a Midianite priest, and Moses wasn't sure about his calling. But one day he noticed something unusual, a burning bush that was not consumed by that burning. He stopped and God spoke to him there, promising deliverance for him and for the people. When Moses asked for God's name, for reassurance of the promise he had been given, God answered, I am who I am. Another way to translate this is, I will be who I will be. God is the great I am, the great becoming, the great presence, the great promise of future deliverance that has already been declared and accomplished and that is still not yet, that is still being worked out on this side of heaven. That is why when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he is bringing together the I am of God's promise already given to Moses with the bread of life that is our day-by-day fulfillment of the practical, not yet, realities of the wilderness. The I I am of God's presence and established reputation for deliverance is joined together with the spiritual bread of life that is given to us day-by-day in our imperfect, not yet, efforts to gather together faithfully in Christ's name. Sister Suzanne Tulin was a Catholic nun who had an opportunity to compose a song for an archdiocesan event in 1964. In addition to being a musician, she was also a teacher, and in between classes one day, she managed to jot down an initial idea for a song, for a new song. But at the end of her free period, she decided that she actually didn't like the song at all. So she tore up what she had composed, and she threw it in the trash. Thankfully enough for all of us, there was a student who was in the infirmary that day. 
Now, the infirmary was located right next to her classroom. Talk about social distancing. The student heard her singing in her empty classroom. And as soon as the period was over, she came out of the infirmary and said, What was that? That was beautiful. The student's enthusiasm inspired Suzanne Tulin to pull her artistic work out of the trash can, tape it back together, and share it. It spread quickly and widely, and you can find it in our own 1982 hymnal. It's number 335. The first line starts out, perhaps familiarly, I am the bread of life. The bread of life is at work in our midst, inspiring us to tape our lives and our ill-begotten attempts at ministry back together with a few simple words of encouragement and appreciation that nourish those around us day by day, week by week, for the sake of God's great name. The great I am who I am, the great I will be who I will be, the great becoming, the great already and not yet of our faith. I imagine her singing that day. I am the bread of life. They who come to me shall not hunger. They who believe in me shall not thirst. No one can come to me unless the Father draw him, and I will raise them up, and I will raise them up, and I will raise them up on the last day. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Amen.